We're now going to take time to hear a bit from our Father's Word. It's Psalm 55. And those of you who are new to church and you can't find where on earth is that, it's really pretty easy to find. It's right in the middle, right in the middle of the Bible. So Psalm 55. Now, what we're going to be looking at is a prayer. And I think some may find it to be shocking. And that's why before we read this prayer... In fact, I was meeting with John Sutton and Jeremy Rose earlier this week. And, John, I think you made the point you'd never heard anyone pray like this. And I thought, well, I have. And it was in an an Academy Award-winning film called The Apostle when the pastor of a church had been betrayed by his closest associate. But instead of the associate having anything go wrong with him, uh, the pastor is the one who lost his wife, his children, and his church. And uh, so we find him uh, in his attic room praying. Now, I'm anxious a little bit about showing this to you, even though I'm talking about anxiety. I'm anxious because (laughs) because I had some folks afterwards not like this, but I, I still want you to ask yourself the question as you watch this. Do godly people really pray this way? I want you to think about that as we watch this clip. I say somebody has taken my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. Hi. You let me down. Oh, well, that's, that is my son. That he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord. And tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever? Because people got to get their sleep in, too. Having seen that, I want you to look at Psalm 55, a prayer of David when he had been betrayed. And I want us to stand because this time we're going to be hearing the word of God. It it was a psalm that eventually was sent to the director of music. Stringed instruments were put with it. It's called a mascal of David. Listen to my prayer, 
O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. So my heart is in anguish within me. Uh, The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord. Confound their speech. For I see, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. As we walked with the throng at the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. For evil finds lodging among them. But I call to God. And the Lord saves me. Uh, Evening, morning and noon. I cry out in distress. And he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them, men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. Now, his speech is as smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. These bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. So as for me, I trust in you. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. All right. So again, I ask you, do godly people pray like this? All right. A lot of people are going to disagree with the point I make today, and many have. So you're going to have to listen carefully to see if you actually think that what I'm saying is consistent with the word of God, not just your pastor's opinion, but really the the, the teaching of scripture and the argument that usually is brought up to me that no real Christian ever prays like that. Bring down, bring them down alive to the grave. (laughs) No real Christian ever prays like that. They usually bring up the very same passage and you may want to look at it. It's in Matthew six. It's where Jesus says, uh, do not be anxious. You know, don't worry, he said. And, and told us 
He was talking to Christians, his, his disciples, those close to him, told us, just get your eyes looking at the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. They, they aren't made in the image of God, and yet God cares for them, so you, you don't have to have your life overwhelmed by anxiety. So, and Jesus did say that. Um, and, it, and it may well be that when we have anxiety and when we worry, it shows that we have weak faith. And it, or it may be that we have our, our focus on material things that when they're taken away, you know, when they're taken away, uh, that, that we become overly anxious. But the, the, the very way Jesus says it, turning to disciples he loves and saying, why do you have that anxiety? Really helps me to understand that Jesus knew that we would. He knew that we would. And, and it's helped me to see also that as I read passages like this in the Bible... And I read about great Christians in history that, that there really is nothing that when we become followers of Jesus that just makes us absolutely superhuman, you know, uh, so that when stress comes in this imperfect world, that the stress just kind of rolls off, you know, off us like water off of a duck. So that isn't what our faith in Christ does. But I, I'm here today to tell you that even though I don't think it does that, that when you enter into a real personal relationship with God. It, it, it makes a difference in times of anxiety. It changes things. It, but it's not that it takes stress away. It's not that. And you and I know that that's true. What it is, is this. That when you become a Christian, and one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is this, we come into a relationship with God, a real one, a personal and intimate one. And in that relationship with God, it gives us a resource a gift that we wouldn't otherwise have that makes all the difference in these times of anxiety. And that's what I find David exercising in this Psalm 55 and that I'm going to encourage us to learn to engage in ourselves. You find it in verse 1. Listen to my prayer, O God. Listen to my prayer. Don't ignore me, God. Hear me and answer me. Now, before we take the time to look at that resource and what it might look in, a, in our lives, if you have an outline from the worship folder, you see I want to start with thinking about what's going on in David's life. Because it's pretty clear, and I hope in the very way I read it, it was clear to you, that this wasn't an easy time for him. Did you notice that? It was a time of tremendous emotional upheaval. I mean, he keeps speaking about the treachery of all of these enemies, and especially he's upset because one person that he had trusted and it was he'd worshipped together with, that one most beloved friend had, had betrayed him as well. And as much as he tried to pray to God, he couldn't get that person off his mind. If you notice from verse 12 to verse 13, he's praying and then suddenly it's that person's face in front of him. It's you, he says. You are the one. I, can't, I can believe that other people might. Abandoned me, but not you. In other words, this is not an easy time for King David. Now, when, when, when did it happen? It's hard to tell, but some things are indicators. Uh, verses 9 through 11, he talks about the city that he cares about. So probably that's Jerusalem, when David was the king there, and he saw things happening in the city that were bad. And then he talks about this treachery of somebody very close to him, and more and more, I've, I've begun to think it's probably one of those times when one of his own children tried to establish a coup and overthrew their own father. You know, it happened twice at least. There's Absalom 
and later Adonijah. And this may have been the time with, when with Adonijah, it wasn't just his son, but his closest military advisor and his closest spiritual advisor turned against him and joined the coup. Well, whatever the specific historic situation was, I'll tell you, read this, and you know this man was in trouble. Uh, some say, well, I think he was worried. Well, I think that's the understatement of the day, don't you? This looks like a total panic attack as I read it. Look again at verses 4 and 5. My heart is in anguish within me. I just feel like I'm going to die. Terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling are besetting me. Horror has just about overwhelmed me. Now, I'm hoping some of you might find something encouraging in this. (laughs) And at least this, knowing that if David could experience this and that you're going through times like this, that there is hope. That it isn't a sign that you don't believe or belong to God. I mean, after all, David, men, David was no weakling, was he? As a young man, he slew bears. And eventually he slew a giant, Goliath, and led these military. This was a strong man, and he was a deeply spiritual man. He is the one who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. So that when I walk through valleys of the shadow of death, I know he is there. And I suppose the thing I would want to say to you is this, that if a person with this kind of strength and this kind of person with a deep, deep spirituality can go through times like this, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens to us. And in this situation, David, as a godly man, had learned that God gives himself to us. And in the midst of this, in this relationship that we are established when we follow him, he gives us an incredible resource that changes everything. What is that resource, you say? If you're a newcomer, you may have heard that the pastor here has studied theology for years. So you're expecting some, some new insight that you've never heard before, aren't you? Some wisdom that is more profound than you could have ever imagined. What is this resource? I'm ready to write it down. What is it? It is prayer. I can almost feel it. Prayer, you say. Well, I've heard that before. Pastor, you need to have something else for me, right? You must have some new insight for me. I say, no, no, this is it. And if you say, well, I've tried that before and it hasn't worked. I just want you to know this. I don't think that the problem is the resource God gives us. But I do believe that perhaps the problem is that we haven't learned how to engage in it. And that's what I pray we can take another step. Now, look, look again. I just want you to try to feel what David was feeling. Did you notice as I read how this thing was swinging back and forth? Verses 9 through 11. He is angry. He's angry about his enemies. Then 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 there are verses that talk about fear Four and five also there in verses nine to eleven. There are verses that talk about grief, especially at his friend's betrayal. Verses twelve to fourteen. And then he has to bring that one back up again in verses twenty and twenty one. And then with all of this fear, anger, grief, frustration mixed in all in different places, uh, you have these statements of confidence and of trust and calling other people to, to trust God as well. What's going on here, you think? This is just this is just a mess. And in fact, you know, I came out of the academic world to come here to be a pastor again. Sometimes when you pull up uh, scholarly commentaries, they'll read a psalm like this and they will say this. It's obvious that the text has been dislocated. 
In other words, the text has been mixed up. Maybe someone was carrying a scroll and dropped it and they got the verses all, all mixed up. Or others say it's obvious that not one person wrote this, but different people just attached things to it at different times. What do you think about that? You know what I would always say to my colleagues when I was engaged in scholarship? There are moments when we need to get our noses up out of the books for a few moments in the lexicons and the grammars and into the lives of people. Because I am telling you, when I read this, I know this, I've been there. This is the way that life is. I'll tell you, it's one of the hardest sermons I've ever tried to organize for you. Uh, The last two psalms that I did, do you remember I kept showing you how brilliantly and beautifully they're organized? Psalm 73, a clear beginning and an end like bookends with clear organization in the middle. Last week I pointed out it's a song with three stanzas. This one is just a jumbled up mess, isn't it? It's swinging back and forth from anxiety to faith. And I'll tell you, I think God inspired it to be put in the Bible for this reason. Because that's how life is. I kept looking for linear, logical direction. (laughs) And I found absolutely none. Because when I read it, I feel what he feels. See, this is not a poem being written by a calm, collected musician who says, Oh, boy, I've got to write a song for Sunday morning and put an arrangement to it. So let me try to... This is not written that way. This is a man who has fire, lightning, uh, rumbling and raging through his soul. He, it's no, there's no linear thinking because he doesn't have any linear thoughts. And he's simply putting into this prayer what he is feeling inside. And it's one of the things that makes the Bible to me both so beautiful and so real. Because even though it was written centuries and centuries ago, we just, this crosses the ages, doesn't it? And it speaks to us. And one of the things also that I love about that is that the Bible just doesn't say, hey, you should pray in such times. It gives us an example of what that prayer might look like. It just doesn't direct us to prayer, but it also tells us how we might engage in prayer. And what we find is that David, a man with a real relationship with God, wrestles with that anxiety that's a part of his life, not in the way that he would have had to have done it without a relationship with God, namely in loneliness, isolation, and just lashing out at people. He does it only as a believer can in the context of a real, genuine relationship with a loving and powerful God. Now, how do we put this together? Well, here's what I've done. I know that verse 22 is the key. Look at it. Okay. Cast your cares. Think about the cares he's casting. Cast your cares on the Lord and you will find this. He will sustain you. So I'm going to pull back and I want to look at this emotional mental state, the cares of David and how it's described. And I want you to think about uh, anyone else that you know, because probably we don't want to admit we've ever felt like this. But anybody else that you've ever known who felt like this and will diagnose this person. What's going on? Number one, there is mental confusion. Mental confusion. You can't think straight. That's what he says in verse two. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. That word translated distraught, the original language that he wrote with, is that these thoughts are just rushing around in my brain so that I'm always restless. Doesn't anxiety do that to us? I can't concentrate, we say. 
my mind is just racing. I try to sleep and I think about this, but immediately that comes back in. It's that sort of mental confusion. Second, there is that that confusion leads to a habitual suspiciousness. We, We think that everybody is criticizing us. Everybody is against us. That's what he describes in verses in verse um, three. It's almost paranoia. I'm distraught. Yeah, at the voice of my enemy, but also the stares that I, that I feel the wicked. They're, they're bringing down suffering upon me. You, you see what he's saying, don't you? Uh, I, I just don't have anybody standing with me. And it just like almost everybody he looked at, he thought, I, I bet they're against me, too. My own son is against me. My closest friends are against me. Do I have anybody that I can trust? It's a, it's a common feature of anxiety, isn't it? Almost paranoia for David. Third, that led to an, what I call an emotional torture. Yes, it, it's an emotional matter, but he began to feel physically the pain of this. In verses 4 and 5, you see him piling word upon word, phrase upon phrase to describe it. So that my heart is in anguish within me. It's a phrase that means when I look inside of myself, I feel like my heart is all tied up with my other internal organs. How would we put that? Wouldn't we say something like, I just feel like my whole stomach is tied up in knots. And it really hurts. I feel like I might die. The terrors of death assail me. I'm afraid. Fear and trembling beset me. Horror is just about to overwhelm me. He feels like he's near death, and if he's not, he wants to be. Uh, and I think if somebody came in, I, I was writing down some phrases. I think we might say it like this. Pastor, I'm, I'm jumpy and irritable. I haven't been able to sleep. My heart is just racing. It feels like it's irregular. My stomach feels like it's, it's developing ulcers. I'm, I'm just sure my blood pressure is sky high. My head hurts. Doesn't this happen? Even though it's an emotional Feeling, it, it has implications for how every part of our lives are hit. So that fourth, that emotional torture leads to just the desire to escape and get out of there. It's so poetically put, verse 6. Oh, here's what I'd like. If only I had the wings of a dove. I'd rather be a dove than a human being. Here's what I would do. I would fly away. <laughs> I'd get out of this place. And I would be at rest. I would flee far away. In fact, I think I'd go to the desert. I don't know if he's talking about Palm Desert or Indian Wells or what he might be talking about there. I would hurry. I'd get to that place of shelter. I'd get far from this tempest and storm. So so the feeling is if only I could get out of this, I could get away from these feelings, away from these people, then everything would be better. Now, I need to really call you to to zone in here for just a moment. Um, When we're feeling anxiety, there is a need for some escape. I've shown you that at other places in the Bible. I honestly believe that sleep is a gift from God to help us to escape and get rested and ready for the next day. So it's not saying that getting away from difficulty is necessarily a bad thing. Do you remember my fourth commandment? I talked about a gift that God has embedded in the Ten Commandments to have six days, but one day that's different. It's pulling away. Getting, and, and we've all found this. Vacation can be that. I, I pray it will be for you when you have those. Um, sometimes reading one of your favorite books, a bit of an escape, you know, being able to get your mind back together, uh, going to a sporting event if you love sports or a music event if you love music. All of those are opportunities to pull away from the mundane or sometimes the uh, stress producing areas of life. 
uh, and live. But the problem is when we view the escape as the as, as the the only remedy. Because, you know, if you just escape, you're going to have to come right back again. And the danger that I've so often seen is that people start trying to live in their escapes. And when they don't work, because you can't run away from your own feelings, right? And you have to come right back in after the escape to the same family and friends and school and work, right? All of those things and difficulties that are there. Uh, what I find people often doing is looking for a more permanent ex- escape. And sometimes, you know, this is what has led people to run to drugs. Uh, sometimes to uh, alcohol abuse. Uh, sometimes to escape and try to leave their families and homes and, and their responsibilities. Uh, because we know that escape, though it's a gift from God for the short time, is not the way to find any kind of, of resolution. Some, some try to escape by denying that, that those things are even there, but that doesn't, that doesn't work either. And all of it eventually comes out. How? Um, some of us have experienced it in depression. David uh, experienced it with, with phobias and fears. He was, he was experiencing it even with a, a hypochondria, probably feeling pains that may not have been physical, but still were very, very real. Uh, so, uh, as I describe it, does it sound like this is a 21st century psychologist trying to di- diagnose a problem? Again, don't you see that the, how, how this language is so real to human experience? Okay, what do we do? What is the resource God gives us as followers of Jesus? What is the step that God would encourage us to take? And that brings me to that second point. I want you to notice where David's feelings are expressed. They are expressed, but I want you to see where they are. These angry, anxious comments occur. Where? In the context of a genuine, personal, and private prayer life. It doesn't happen in his public declarations or his public actions. But he is open and honest and he brings it into a real, private, personal prayer life. Uh, When we talked about, I haven't heard people pray publicly like this. Or you might even say, Pastor, you didn't pray like that in that prayer that you had earlier on. Right, I say. This isn't the only thing that we learn about prayer. But in times of anxiety... When you have a real and personal relationship with God as Father, the faith in Jesus gives to us. This is a gift that He gives us. That a part of our prayer life is coming into His presence and giving Him everything. It may be the most significant thing that I want to communicate to us as a church family this morning. Now, you don't have to read much about the life of David to know this. That he was a man who did not run away to the desert. I love that. He wanted to. But he did what God called him to do. He fulfilled his responsibilities to his work, to his nation, and to his family. And he didn't take his anger and anxiety out on the people around him. Screaming and yelling and hitting and and then saying, well, of course, that can be justified because I'm so stress-filled. In fact, one of the remarkable things, if you want to read the life of David, is that he had to have been one of the most gracious and generous men toward his enemies who has ever lived. And it was from his youth on. I mean, just before he became the king, you remember Saul who was the king? This maniac, homicidal maniac. He, he knew that David had seemed to have God's anointing on him, and so he just tried to put him to death. Uh, irrational, unfair, unjust. And David had one opportunity after another to drive a knife in Saul's heart, but he refused to do it. 
He said, if that's what's supposed to happen, uh, God will do it. Uh, so, and, and that happened all through his life. So it feels like there's a contradiction here. How does it, it fit together? Anxious in this prayer. Patient in his actions. Shouting curses at people in his prayer. Then showing mercy to those same people in his judgments. Does it feel like a contradiction? I tell you, it is not. I want us to learn about how you and I walk with God in this imperfect world where all sorts of things will happen wherever we are at one time or another. How do we walk with God in this imperfect world? If I have anything to say to you about this subject that you don't usually hear from the pulpit, it might be right here. Hear it, hear it now. I think texts like this are in the Bible because they explain to us how a genuine follower of Jesus deals with our anger and our anxiety in a healthy way. Again, I want to point out, David was no superhuman. He, 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 was, he was still immortal. And I'll tell you, with all these things happening, he was furious, wasn't he? Have I been able to show you that? I mean, he was just furious as any one of us would be. But he teaches us here. He didn't give up and run away from, from what God had called him to be as the king. Nor did he go around abusing his wife or his children or his friends or his nation as, as he might have felt like he wanted to do. Instead, he worked through that anxiety and that anger within the context of his personal relationship with God through prayer. And I'll tell you, that is important. I, I wrote in the worship folder as I was thinking about the message, one of the most difficult things that any counselor wrestles with today is trying to help people decide how they deal with anxiety because so often we bottle it up. But the problem is so many people think that the only thing we can do then is we've got to get people to ventilate it. You know, you, got to, you can't keep it in. It'll, it'll kill you like a cancer. So you've got, to, you've got to get it out. Scream, break a few plates, hit a pillow. I, I was watching a, a movie on, um, on, the, on the airplane one day when I was flying, and a therapist was counseling a gangster. And he, and he said, the gangster said, what do I do with all my stress? He said, well, I always hit a pillow. So he pulled out a gun and hit it several times. And he said, I do feel better. Well... Seems like that's what the only thing that we can tell people to do, just hit things. But even though I think that's uh, 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 it's helpful, you've got to get rid of some of those things. You just can't keep them inside. Just ventilating cannot be the solution. And studies are showing this so undeniably. Uh, children who are seen to be overly aggressive and are encouraged to get their aggression out by kicking things at the end of the time don't become less aggressive, usually more aggressive. Uh, couples who are dealing with a, a lot of frustration with one another and anger uh, after they have shouted and screamed at one another usually find that they are not more unified, they're more divided afterwards. So what do we do? Seems kind of hopeless. On one side, we, we need to find a place to express what we have inside. On the other side, we need to do it without doing damage to relationships and to people. We need something to express it without fueling the anger and the anxiety. And that's what we find in genuine prayer. Look, if you weren't shocked by the video clip I showed you, you should be shocked by verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. God, let them go alive down to the grave. That's what you should be. This shocking stuff, you should say. 
How would you like it if one of your pastors prayed that way about you? I don't know if you'd ever be back again. And, and you might say, as I wrote, Jesus wouldn't pray like that. And I know he wouldn't. But the whole point was that David, when he wrote this, was not yet fully Christ-like. And I have to humbly confess to you that nor am I. I want to grow to be that. I want to grow to be that. But as I look out over, other than maybe a few of you I can't see in the balcony, um, I'm guessing that neither are you. I'm guessing that neither are you. So until God is done with us, what do we do? Listen to what David did. It was to express privately in his real relationship with God exactly how he felt. This is not all that prayer is, but it's a part of it. Prayer is that place that provides us with a context, a real relationship in which we can freely express what's going on in our hearts rather than repress it and leave it there. And this is one of the reasons why David loved his God. Because he knew that if he said this to all of the people around him, it would do more damage than good. But he knew that God was a God who knew it anyway, right? God knew it anyway. And, and God isn't going to be overwhelmed by the strength of his argument, nor is God going to hate him when he comes to him with this kind of honesty. So that David says, listen, even though I don't know what's going on, as for me, his last phrase, I am going to be a person who trusts in you, and out he walks into the world in which God has put him. Now, how do we do that? I've written down just three words that I... I don't know if you'll find these to be helpful. I pray you will. That, I, that I've been learning as I read this 55th Psalm and many others like it. Three words about what I pray will be true of our prayers. Number one, seems to me the Bible is teaching us that there must be intimacy in our prayers. That sometimes we will take the prayer of someone else and make it ours. But prayer is not simply taking out a prayer book and reading it nor using the words that we've heard others using and attaching amen at the end. Prayer is a part of a real, genuine relationship where we can call God Abba. And as a part of that relationship, we bring him, he already knows anyway, but in an intimate way, what is going on in our hearts. Uh, do any of you remember the, telecon- the telemarketing calls that used to come to us? I guess some still get those. You know, when the telemarketer would get you on the line, I started thinking about this, get you on the line, um, they, they have a script that they were supposed to follow. They're trying to sell you something. Uh, you've gotten to know me, some of you, well enough to know what I tried to do when telemarketers called. I tried to get them into a personal conversation. So they started, and I would say something like this. Well, tell me a little bit about your children. How are your children doing? Well, I, I just felt how flustered they were trying to get us back, uh, you know, on theme, on message. It wasn't a conversation. It was, a, it was a manipulation. Well, don't let our prayers become um, a telemarketing call with God. Tell him what you're feeling. Take time to listen. Sometimes he'll simply tell you, I still am in control. You've got to trust me. You must wait. But I think there has to be this kind of intimacy if prayer is going to be the resource that makes a difference. Second word I'll just give you is honesty. Honesty. Uh, if some were troubled by the uh, video clip where, where uh, uh, the pastor said, I've always called you Jesus. You've always called me Sonny. Now it's Sonny talking to you and I want to tell you what I'm feeling. 
I think that kind of honesty where we put it in front of him, knowing that he won't be troubled by our pettiness, that he will care about our pain. And I think this prayer is put here so that we can know that we can bring any matter to him and know he will still love us. An unfailing love. And then third, it seems to me this text is also teaching us that we should develop, especially in the good times, when we're not going through one of those panic attacks, we should develop a discipline, a discipline, that word in prayer. Look at verse 17 with me. Uh, Evening, morning and noon. See that? Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in my distress. Uh, Wonderful commentary on the Psalms is by a man named Derek Kidner, K-I-D-N-E-R. It's not even very expensive. And and Dr. Kidner says that this phrase in Hebrew is indicating more than just, I just feel like praying all the time, but it is the development of a regular way of life in which there is a discipline every morning, afternoon, and evening. I set aside some time to be with God. He says you find it reflected in David's Psalms. You find it in the life of Daniel. Do you know that story where he was in big-time trouble, but he still was going to go there and pray with the window open so that in those times when we're not under a panic attack, if we develop a discipline to meet with God, that even if we don't feel like it, we'll come to that place and begin working through these things in the presence of the Lord. Uh, It's really what Paul talked about uh, in the text that John read to us earlier in Philippians. Paul said, now, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, with that anxiety and everything, by prayer and supplication, he said, bring those things to God. And then the result will eventually be the peace of God that goes beyond any human understanding will sustain you. Well, that's what David had learned here. So that he turns to us and says, learn to do it. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will hold you up. Now, our time is gone. So I'll just tell you at the very end. There are two things I've prayed for that might happen in our lives. Folks, as we come to know and love one another, I think about these sermons and say, what do I really want to happen in your life because you've come here? One, in the immediate, I pray that any of who may be going through some times of anxiety um, might be able to bring those today to God. Even in our gathering in the worship service, I, I put a sheet of paper in the in the worship folder, that four by six. If, you, if you'll take that out, maybe you would want to already start Jotting down those matters that are making you anxious and giving them to the Lord. So that's my first prayer, that you'll leave here having given those matters that today are making you anxious simply to him. And then second, I I just pray that something more ongoing might happen in all of our lives. That in our prayer lives that we'll feel that release to be able to pray like this. When I met with John and Jeremy, we all agreed that even in our private prayer lives, we, we sort of sanitize our prayers. We, we, we feel something, but we think, well, no, you're not supposed to pray like this. Well, you just pull out this 55th Psalm and say, oh, all right, uh, maybe so. Father, here is what's going on. I, I pray that we will have that release to bring honestly to God what we're feeling in our hearts. When, when I was a college student, I had a friend, a mentor of mine once say to me, Greg, why don't you learn to do this? Write a letter to God in times of anxiety. Because when you start writing it, first it's going to look like this, but more and more I I found that it starts taking shape. Instead, now I just keep a journal 
And I try to put I, I won't let myself write more than just three quarters of a page. Otherwise, you can tell how much I like to talk I'll have 50 pages of of all of this poison. I try to make it like that. And now what happens is I go back 20 years before. At the, at the moment now, I'll think, oh, I've never felt so much stress. I'll look back and say, 20 years ago, I think I felt more. And here I still am. And God was sufficient then. Father, I'll trust you again now. I encourage you to do it. Make it very personal and very private. You might even want to write it in a code that nobody else can understand. John Wesley did that. He kept his personal journal and he put it in this code that it took 80 years for people to break. He didn't want anybody else to see it other than him and God, right? Well, that's what I want you to do just as David did. I'm guessing that when we get to heaven, David will be shocked that this personal prayer made it into scriptures. But I'm so thankful that it did. So thankful. So that I can learn how to pray. I really think that if you had seen... King David, on the same day he wrote this, uh, engaging in his activity in the palace, you would probably look at him and knowing all the trouble he was going through, you would say, wow, what a leader. Look how calm, peace-filled he is in spite of all this that's happening in his family and in our nation. But here, in his private, private journal entry that made it into the Bible, You and I see the same man on his knees. And it's there that we discover the secret of his peace. And here it is. Cast your cares upon the Lord. And he will hold you up. Thank you, Lord. To your glory. Amen. Here's what I, just like last week, this is what I would like to do. We're going to have just a moment of silence, just a moment of silence. Uh, During that moment of silence, if you could write some of those matters that might be causing you anxiety on that sheet of paper. When the music begins, in just a moment, I would like you to come and bring those. And just as we left matters that are causing us guilt on these walls, symbolically giving that to God. So those matters causing anxiety, we're going to bring them and put them there and symbolically casting them on the Lord and leaving them with him. May it make a difference in our lives. So in the silence, just write those. And when Jan begins playing, come and bring them to the wall.